0: Chapter twenty two of the Web of the Golden Spider This Librivox recording is in the public domain Recording by Roger Mallen The Web of the Golden Spider By Frederick Orrin Bartlett Chapter twenty two The Taste of Rope Stubbs was lying flat upon his chest, staring anxiously down into the fissure where Wilson had disappeared when suddenly he felt a weight upon his back and another upon each of his outstretched arms. In spite of this, he reached his knees, but the powerful brown men still clung. He shook himself, as a mad bull does, at the sting of the darts. It was just as useless. In another minute he was thrown again, and in another, bound hand and foot with a stout grass rope, Without a word, as though he were a slain deer, he was lifted to their shoulders and ignominiously carted down the mountainside. It was all so quickly done that he blinked back at the sun in a daze, as though awaking from some evil dream. But his uncomfortable position soon assured him that it was a reality, and he settled into a sullen rage. He had been captured as easily as a drunken sailor is shanghai They never paused until they lowered him like a bundle of hay within a dozen feet of where he had tethered his burrows. Instantly he heard a familiar voice jabbering with his captors. In a few minutes the priest himself stepped before him and studied him curiously as he rolled a cigarette. "'Where is the other?' he asked. "'Find him,' growled Stubbs. "'Either I or the golden one will find him, that is certain. "'There is but one pass over the mountain,' he added in explanation. "'Maybe. What do you want of us, anyway?' "'The priest flicked the ashes from a cigarette. "'What did you want, by the hut yonder? "'Your course lay another way. "'Ain't a free man a right up there?' IT IS THE SHRINE OF THE GOLDEN ONE. IT AIN'T MARKED SUCH. BUT YOU HAVE LEARNED, NOW. IT IS BETTER IN A STRANGE COUNTRY TO LEARN SUCH THINGS BEFORE, THAN AFTERWARDS. THE SAME TO YOU, ABOUT STRANGE PEOPLE. THE PRIEST SMOKED IDLY A FEW MINUTES LONGER. WHERE IS THE OTHER? HE ASKED AGAIN. ASK YOUR GOLDEN MAN. He knows only the dead. Shall I wait? Just as you damned please, growled Stubbs. He saw no use in trying to pacify this devil. Even if he had seen a hope, it would have gone too much against him to attempt it. He felt the same contempt for him that he would of a mutinous sailor. He was just bad, to be beaten by force and nothing else. The yellow teeth showed between the thin lips. The bearded men are like kings until they lie prostrate like slaves. Stubbs did not answer. His thoughts flew back to Wilson. He pictured his return to find his partner gone. Would he be able to climb out of that ill-fated hole without aid? It was possible, but if he succeeded he might fall into worse hands. At any cost he must turn suspicion aside from that particular spot. Apparently it had as yet no especial significance, if its existence were known at all to the natives. "'My partner,' said Stubbs, deliberately, "'has gone to find the girl.' "'And you waited for him, up there in the sun?' "'Maybe.' HE HAD BETTER HAVE REMAINED WITH YOU. THERE WOULD HAVE BEEN SOME DEAD NIGGERS IF HE HAD. MY FRIEND, SAID THE PRIEST, BEFORE MORNING I SHALL KNOW IF YOU HAVE TOLD THE TRUTH THIS TIME. IN THE MEANWHILE I SHALL LEAVE YOU IN THE COMPANY OF MY CHILDREN. I HOPE YOU WILL SLEEP WELL. DO YOU MEAN TO KEEP ME TIED LIKE THIS TILL MORNING? I SEE NO OTHER WAY. Then damn your eyes if... But he bit off the phrase and closed his eyes against the grinning face before him. As a matter of fact, he had made a discovery which brought with it a ray of hope. He found that with an effort he was able to bring his teeth against the rope where it passed over his shoulder. His hands were tied behind his back, but with the slack he would gain after gnawing through the rope, he would be able to loosen them they had taken his revolver but they had overlooked the hunting knife he always carried within his shirt suspended from his neck a precaution which had proved useful to him before the very thing he now hoped for was that they would leave him as he was the priest departed and did not appear again the three brown men settled down on their haunches and fell into that state of indian lethargy which they were able to maintain for days "'every sense resting, but still alert. "'With their knees drawn up to their chins, "'they chewed their coca leaves and stared at their toes, "'immovable as images. "'Stubbs looked them over. "'They did not appear to be strong men. "'Their arms and legs were rounded like those of women, "'and their chests were thin. "'He wondered now why he had not been able to shake them off. Stubbs settled back to wait, but every now and then he deliberately tossed, turning from his back to his side and again to his back. He had two objects in mind, to keep the watchmen alert so that the strain would tell eventually in dulled senses, and to throw them off their guard when the time came that the movements really meant something. But they never even looked up, never shifted their positions. Each had by his side a two-edged sword, but neither revolver nor rifle. His own Winchester still lay in the grass near the hut, if they had not stolen it. In this way, several hours passed before he made the first move towards escape. They gave him neither water nor nourishment, so he waited until dark. Then he turned his head until his teeth rested upon the rope. He remained in this position without moving for ten minutes, and then slowly, carefully began to nibble. The rope was finely knit and as tough as rawhide. At the end of a half hour, he had scarcely made any impression at all upon it. At the end of an hour, he had started several strands. The wiry threads irritated his lips and tongue so that they soon began to bleed, "'but this in turn softened the rope a trifle. "'The three brown men never stirred. "'The stars looked down impartially upon the four, "'also upon the girl by the lake and the man in the cave. "'It was all one to them. "'He gnawed as steadily and as patiently as a rat. "'Each nibble soon became torture But he never ceased, save to toss a bit that the guards might not get suspicious. The dark soon blurred their outlines, but he had fixed their positions in his mind so that he could have reached them with his eyes shut. At the end of the third hour he had made his way half through the rope. It took him two hours more to weaken one half of the remainder. The pain was becoming unendurable. He quivered from head to foot each time he moved his jaw, for his lips were torn to the quick. His tongue was shredded, his chest damp with blood. Finally, he ceased. Then, carefully, very carefully, threw back his shoulders so as to bring a strain to the rope. He felt it pull apart and sank to rest a bit. Apparently, he lay without moving, The brown men were like dead men. But inch by inch he had drawn the rope slack until he was able to unwind it from his wrists. Then, by half inches, he moved his hands free, slipping one of them from behind him to his side. It seemed to him as though nature herself had paused to watch and listen. He turned now with his free hand beneath him. Slowly his fingers crept towards his chest, grasped the sheath, freed the blade, and then back to his side once more. He turned to his back, his hand behind him, his fingers grasping the horn handle. His feet were still bound, but he figured that he could raise himself to a sitting posture and sever these with a single slash at the moment he sprang. But he must be quick, must be strong, must be calm. TO THIS END HE STRETCHED HIMSELF UPON HIS BACK AND WAITED. IF HE WERE ABLE TO KILL THE FIRST MAN WITH A SINGLE BLOW, HE FELT HE WOULD STAND MORE THAN AN EQUAL CHANCE WITH THE TWO OTHERS. HE WAS AN ADEPT IN THE USE OF THE KNIFE. IN A FLASH HE WAS upright. IN ANOTHER HE HAD CUT THROUGH THE ROPE ON HIS ANKLES. HE LEAPED FORWARD, STRIKING DEEP AS HIS FEET TOUCHED THE EARTH. The knife sank to the hilt in the brown body. One of the others was reaching for his sword as Stubbs struck home again, but as he drew out his knife, the third was rushing for him with his long sword in his hands. He never reached him. With the skill of long experience, Stubbs threw his knife with the speed of an arrow from a bow. It struck the man just above the heart, and he stumbled over his own feet. "'Stubbs melted into the shadow of the trees. "'Once out of sight of the scene of this struggle, "'he stopped and listened. "'If this were all of them, "'there were several things he would get "'before he returned to the heights. "'A light breeze rustled the heavy tops above him, "'but otherwise the world seemed sound asleep. "'There was not the cracking of a twig, "'not the movement of a shadow.' he ventured back. The three forms, save that they had settled into awkward positions, looked very much as they had a few minutes ago when they had stood between him and freedom. He passed them, stopping to recover his knife, and then moved on to where he had hidden the provisions. He took a rope, a can of beef, some crackers, and a small quantity of coca-leaves. Then he went to the spring nearby and soothed his sore throat and mouth with water. He also filled a quart flask, which he tied behind him. Returning to the cache, he covered it up again, and, placing a roll of the coca leaves beneath his tongue, started on the ascent. The dawn was just appearing in a flush of pink when he reached the top, A reconnaissance of the rocks around the hut and at the entrance to the crevice convinced him that no guards had been left here. Evidently, the priest had not thought their capture of supreme importance. It was more an act of precaution than anything else. He felt more refreshed at the top of the peak than he had at the bottom, and, wondering at this, it suddenly occurred to him that this was the effect of the coca leaves. He had heard in Bogova that the natives under its influence were able to endure incredible hardships without other nourishment of any kind. He took a larger mouthful. At any rate, they acted as balm upon his tongue and macerated lips. He felt no inclination to rest. Even had he felt fatigue, his anxiety over Wilson would have forbidden further delay. He fastened one end of his rope securely about a point of rock and then sat down to study the map once more. He realized that he would need the help of every detail of these directions. Already he had committed them to memory. He was calmer than Wilson about it, and so had remembered them better. But he went over them once more. There was more than treasure at stake this time, He lowered himself into the crevice which had swallowed up his companion, with almost a sense of relief at being, for the moment, beyond the power of the priest. He was tempted to cut the rope behind him, but a brief examination convinced him that this would be foolhardy. He still had sufficient left for an emergency, in case the rope was drawn up from above. Two men should stand a better chance of getting out of here than would a single man, at the end of the first ten feet along the narrow path stubbs felt much less confident than at the start that wilson was alive and he worked his way along the dangerous course with increasing fear it was with a gasp of relief that he finally saw the opening ahead of him which marked the end he paused to shout he received no reply he called his comrade's name again the dark walls about him caught his voice and imprisoned it. Taking new risks, he pushed ahead. To the left he saw the cave mouth. He stopped once more, half fearing what he should find, and ran the remaining steps. At the entrance to the cave itself, he stumbled over a prostrate body. End of chapter twenty two. Recording by Roger Moline.